Return to Camp Blood, episode 86, Community Spotlight with Vincent DeSanti. This episode is brought to you by Womp Stomp Films. Jesus Christ. Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming to me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I miss his voice. An old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You're doing if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. I'd like to welcome Vincent DeSanti, who is directing the upcoming Friday the 13th fan film, Never Hike Alone, from Womp Stomp Films. Thanks for joining us tonight, Vinny, and how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, we definitely appreciate your time, but uh, we'll go ahead and just jump right on into this. Uh, what what prompted you to begin this film? Um, I've just always been a big Friday the 13th fan, um, and I wanted to develop my directing career. I saw doing a short as a way of of, you know, breaking in and doing some stuff. I had done some other shorts as well, but, you know, we just started putting this film together and a group of friends said, you know, we think we can do this right. And slowly but surely over time, we, um, you know, we built it from scratch. It started as a 10 minute short and, you know, we discovered things along the way. We got ideas along the way and now it's kind of grown into what it is today. Awesome. Awesome. We're definitely looking forward to seeing it. I've seen your recent trailer and I, all I got to say is, you know, it looks like it's just going to be a, a great, you know, a great respect to the Friday series. Yeah, no, we have tremendous respect for the Friday series. I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan. I've watched them since I was a kid. You know, I, I was one of those kids of the eighties and nineties who, you know, every weekend we went to the, to the video store and I ran up and down the aisle and I started at one, went all the way to whatever number it was up at the time. I think it was nine. I think Jason goes to hell just come out. And then I would go one through nine, go back to the beginning, one through nine, go back to the beginning and every weekend. And I love the films. And I always, you know, they drove me out to Hollywood, you know, looking at the films, watching them, wondering how they got made, wondering how they cut a woman's head off, wondering how, you know, they nailed that guy to the door. Like, how did they do that stuff? It got me interested in how films were made and learning about the process really drove me to pursue this career. Um, and since I've been out here for the last 10 years, um, you know, I've been wanting to make my own films and do my own stuff. I started building my own cosplay costume and messing around with some shorts. And eventually we, you know, just came up and like, why don't we just do this for real? Let's, let's make something. And, uh, yeah. And, and we wanted to do something that fans could get behind and be like, no, 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 these guys aren't just messing around. Like they know they're Friday the 13th. Like there are a lot of things in this film that we think people are going to pick up on a lot of Easter eggs. There's actually a couple Easter eggs in the in the trailer that I don't know if anybody's picked up on yet. Um, but when they start to look a little bit closer and they see some of the details that are on the wall and on the shelves and things like that, they'll see that we've really like tapped into a, you know, a piece of nostalgia there that I think they're really going to appreciate. Yeah. I definitely did notice a couple of those. I, I was going to bring those up, but I figured you might mention them also. And I won't say those because I don't know who all has seen it yet, but if you haven't seen the trailer yet, the newest trailer yet for never hike alone, I highly recommend it. Mm, thank you. Yeah, no, there's a couple of things in there. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give one of them away, but when he goes into uh, one of the rooms and he's searching around the attic, there's, um, you know, there's a book up there that uh, would have been owned by Mrs. Voorhees. So you can kind of tell, of, like, whose territory you're starting to get into. There's also a picture on that desk. If you look really closely, you'll see who's in the picture. Um, so there's little things like that. Yeah, and I can't wait to see the rest of the film. I'm sure you have some other surprises for us in store. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's um, we did a lot, uh, a lot of work. I mean, originally we weren't shooting at the camp. Um, we were shooting at a set of cabins down the road, 
And while we were shooting there, we actually, that's how we made our first trailer, which we released last um, in May of 2016 on Friday the 13th. You know, we did it as a celebration to celebrate Friday the 13th and see if people were interested in this version of our short. Um, and while we were shooting that, we met some of the locals that lived around there who lived in the cabins that we were shooting behind, which we weren't allowed to shoot in, only exteriors. And that's what the short was based around. Um, and when they told us that there was a cabin up the road, there was actually a camp up the road that had been abandoned, we were like, wait a second, really? Um, okay. And we built our trailer. We, we let it out. We let people react to it. And then we did our research and literally had like an old map from the 80s um, that we took a picture of, compared it to the map from now. Um, there were no roads. There was no camp like it was on the map on Google Earth. We literally had to go into the woods and find this place, but eventually we found the trail that leads to this camp, and there's an abandoned camp out there from 1987. And we're like, well, this is perfect. Well, what can we do here? Oh, man, we have interiors. We have an office. We have a main lodge. We have a kitchen. We have an attic. We have all these different things. Like, let's build a set. You know, no one's out here. No one's coming out here. Like, let's just start building it. And that's what we started to do. So, you know, a lot of the thinking from Friday the 13th meant like, okay, so if we have an office, what can we do with an office and what would carry over from the old films and what would go in here? And so we started to look at the old films and started to look at the characters, try to understand where they were at in those films and what was going on with them. Um, and then insert that into building the set. So when they walk through, it's not just, Oh, there's a thing on the wall and there's that it's, if you look closely, you're going to see that there's, it ties all the way back to the old films. And that's the first half of the film is kind of going down memory lane before we even, even meet Jason. And we think that, people who are fans of Friday the 13th are going to enjoy that just as much as they do once Jason does show up and starts kicking the shit out of our main character. <laughs> nice. Now you mentioned up the road and for our listeners that don't know the filming location, can you maybe explain that a little bit further in detail where you're actually shooting everything? Yeah, we're shooting in the San Bernardino national forest. Um, it's not far from a, a town called big bear, which is kind of the, the one that everybody really knows. Um, but it's not big bear proper. It's down the road. Um, and literally like, when we started filming, it was just a set of cabins that are just off the side of the road. We didn't even think anybody lived in them until we shot there during the summer and realized that they're just summer cottages. Um, and so we're really filming out in the middle of nowhere. And that's leading into what this film is about is the fact that our character is isolated and he's away from everything and he's got no one to protect himself, but, him, but his own skill and what he has for the minimal equipment that he has for this weekend hike. Um, you know, we spend the first part of the film getting him out into the middle of nowhere and then discovering, you know, the long lost remains of Camp Crystal Lake, a place that's been cut off from the rest of society that you can imagine that, you know, if you went through the 80s and all those bad things happened, that the people of Crystal Lake would be like, well, you know what, maybe we should take it off the map. Maybe we should cut off all the trails that go there and let's see if we can save a few lives doing that. But, you know, they didn't do a great job of it. And our character finds one of those trails and ends up out there. And so filming out in this location helped us really push that and emphasize that there's no one out there. He's alone. And that's really what drives the fear of the film is the fact that this character's got no one else to rely on. There is no group to combine together with. It's literally him and Jason, and that's all that stands in his way. It's, it's just whether he can survive or not. Yeah, after looking at the trailer, I assume that it was, you know, what you would consider a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, type of uh, mm -hmm. battle film, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and I know, I know, Eric was was interested in this um, in this little portion too. But in the in the trailer, it, it appears that the film is at least partially a found footage type of film. Yeah, we we wanted to find a way to um, to have the character engage with the audience. 
But I mean, I'll tell you for outright, I'm not a fan of found footage films. I, you know, I find them tough to watch and um, I get bored with them really easy. But the concept of somebody doing a confessional style film, like a 127 hours or the Martian where our character can stop and talk to the camera and, and essentially like talk to the audience. It's a great way for the audience to fall in love and get to know the character. And since our character is kind of, uh, he's like, we consider him a YouTube sensation in a way. He's not like a big star or anything in our film, but in our film, you can tell that he's got maybe a little bit of following. He does, you know, he researches, you know, some trails every weekend. He says, Hey, you know, this is, you know, trail X, Y, Z. And, you know, it's this type of, this type of terrain. This is what you want to do. This is the type of gear you want to bring. And he's like trying to do his own little bear grills thing. And, you know, it just so happens that on this trip, he kind of, for him, hits a gold mine. He's like, Oh, wow. Like I found Camp Crystal Lake. This is awesome. This is going to be great for me. What can I do with this? And in the middle of all that, you know, stumbles into the lore and the legend that is Jason Voorhees. And it goes from how can I make this great episode to how the hell am I going to survive through the night? And, you know, part of it is, you know, is he going to, you know, what does he do with the footage if he makes it out and all these different things. So there's a lot going on there that plays into the storytelling, but we don't get stuck in that singular point of view. Once he does his confessional, unless it adds to the story, we're third person. We go to traditional camera work. We try to do the best cinematography that we could for this film, you know, with the tools that we have. And then when we can use it and it can be utilized well, yeah, we can cut into found footage anytime we want and put the audience in front of a character, which can help drive up some fear and do those things. So it's, you know, it's a very tactile way of doing it rather than trying to, you know, stick you in one point of view the whole time and, you know, and just ride that, ride that ride. Absolutely. I mean, me personally, I, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of found footage movies at all. And just from the way that you, the cinematography in the movie, um, definitely not shots and angles, uh, but the cinematography in the movie, the way it's shot. I mean, I can totally buy into the, that being found footage. I mean, and I don't mm -hmm. know if you want me to give away all of the, give a, us to give away all of the Easter eggs, but there's a very familiar shot that's shot in the third person. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, we get that. So, I mean, even in the trailer, if you're looking at it and you're like, oh, this is a found footage movie, it's it's not. It's it's a mixture of both, and it works. It And it had just the trailer alone, I, I felt the suspense. And mm -hmm. it's that, thank you, Vincent. That's that's awesome. As a fan, thank that's you. Great. Well, you know, I'm, that's, you know, that, that really means more than anything. I mean, to have fans come out, you know, we've had a lot of fans come out and, and say great things about the film. And we've had people get confused as a found footage film and then they find out it's not. And they're like, oh, that's great. Thank, thank you for not doing that. Um, but, you know, if they really want to know, I, I would say it's probably about 80-20, um, you know, traditional camera versus found footage and maybe even less than that, maybe like 85-15. We really only do, um, I think there are four confessionals in the film um, and they're each maybe about a minute long you know, a minute, minute and a half. It's just a quick little check-in. He does his little addressment to his fans. And then, you know, every now and then we cut in. But other than that, you know, it's pretty traditional. And we do, I mean, we're fans of the Friday, of the of every Friday the 13th. So going back, studying the camera, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, you know, I think there are a couple of things that we weren't able to put in the trailer that, you know, when fans do see it, they'll realize it. Like, you know, the watcher, you know, the watcher angle, you know, getting that, that voyeuristic type of camera that's watching our character do stuff, you know, that's going to pop up in there. You know, they're going to recognize a lot of that stuff. And then they're going to see, 
you know, what Friday the 13th could be with a little bit more technology, with today's technology, being able to use the drone. I mean, they didn't have a lot of aerials in the, in the old films, but us being able to fly a drone around and get some of these really cool, interesting angles and show the scope of this film, it really opens it up to a bigger world and sets it in that environment, which we think is an asset to us. So we want to use that and use it to enhance the film and not be the forefront of it, but just give a little bit extra. Right, right. And I do want to call out the elephant in the room, uh, something that is very noticeable with our favorite antagonist slash protagonist and mm-hmm. and something iconic that I the yeah. mask the mask's missing some chevrons isn't it yes it is and that and that was done on purpose um but it wasn't the original intention um you know i got to say right now thank you to cfx in louisiana who designed the mask with me um we built that thing from scratch and they also supplied the hood and the hands that we use, so the silicone appliances that we use for Jason to build him. Um, it's all from CFX in Louisiana, and yeah, I worked with those great. guys on the. Yeah, and they're really great guys. I mean, they were super jazzed about doing it. You know, I talked to a like I talked to a couple of people about making a custom mask, um, and I actually got turned down by a few people. They were like, ah, we're not interested. And these, you know, as soon as I asked them, they jumped right on it. And as we were building it, um, I was building the mask in a certain way. It was based on old masks from the 60s um you know the the original mask the type of textures they used on them mm-hmm. um you know how thick how thick they were mm-hmm. and things like that and of course you know building at a bunch of angles so when light hit it the way that light hits the mask and it casts shadows across it and you know cast mm-hmm. shadows across the actor's eyes so we don't see the actor's eyes um and it was all these different things and the last thing i asked them to do was was give it a waterlogged feel as if it had been underwater as if it had been under dirt it's dirty it's washed out it's got all these different, you know, things to it. And when they showed me the first pass of paint, um, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it as it was this white blank canvas of just dirt and grime and that everything had just washed away off the mask. So originally I was going to put chevrons on it, but when I saw it and I just saw the eyes and everything about the mask just drew you into the eyes, I didn't want to put anything else on it that took your attention away. And my, you know, I logically thought about like, well, where'd the chevrons go? And my, my process went to, well, you know, as the films went on, the chevrons got chipped off along the way. And if it's been 37 years and he's been underwater and he's been in the dirt and he's been through all this shit, you know what? They got washed off. They faded away, you know, just like the camp. And there's a lot of that design language in there. Um, the camp is faded. It's worn away. It's not what it used to be. And, you know, I think that it ended up, kind of pairing well with each other. Like if you will notice when you watch the film, Jason's costume, he almost blends into the camp. A lot of the colors we use in the costume are also reflected in the set. And he, you know, they really match each other really well. And that was something that we kind of lucked out on, but I'm really, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that like our design language with him, he's like, is just a part of the camp as anything else that's there. I think that that's, what's really great about the look for this film. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with you. There's, there's something organic about it. And I, and I, I totally appreciate it. And I, I, I am waiting with great anticipation. Good. We hope to, to make you proud. 
So along with the Chevrons, one thing that I also noticed to me that really stood out, whether it be, you know, a minor thing or a major thing, but it really did stand mm -hmm. out to me. And that was the yellow axe handle. We've obviously only mm -hmm. seen Jason with, you know, old nasty weathered wooden axe handles. So to see that, you know, the yellow plastic mm -hmm. axe handle in this film, it just really stood out. Yeah, and that was another happy accident for us. Um, the axe was actually a gift from a friend. Um, I had been searching for, you know, a bunch of old tools and, you know, weapons of that type of nature to kind of populate the camp with. And they showed up with this yellow axe, and it was the only axe I had at the time. Um, and I was like, well, this is different, but it's kind of cool. It's, it's yellow. It kind of pops out. Um, it's plasticky, which kind of gives me like an 80s vibe in a way. I don't know. Like, let's see if this works. And the more we used it, the more I fell in love with it. And when we really fell in love with it was, um, I mean, you see the axe throw in the, in the trailer, um, but we did tests before we did that axe throw um, probably a couple months prior to make sure that our cameras were working and that it was doing what we wanted to do. And the first time I threw the axe and I saw it spinning through the air with the yellow handle, I fell in love. I was like, wow, this looks really cool. Um, it, you know, it stands out. And it plays into the film. There's actually moments where that axe becomes very important. Um, you know, I'll just kind of hint at that. Um, and without the yellow handle, I don't think that we could get away with as many things as we do with it. Um, and I think it's just a cool look. It's, it's like, again, it's, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but we're using, you know, what has been given to us. You know, we're not spending a ton of money on this. We're trying to spend it where we can. But anywhere we can say, hey, this is the donation or, hey, this is what I own. Let's just use it. That's what we've done. And we've tried to make the best of the situation as we can. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can totally understand, you know, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it makes perfect sense. Obviously, you mm -hmm. know, seeing when you're just used to seeing, you know, the wooden axes over the years, it just really does stand out. So you definitely accomplished, I guess, the the wow factor or the, you mm -hmm. know, the, the eye catching factor, if you will. Uh, so you definitely nailed yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's kind of like, you know, this is definitely going to be a very unique looking Friday. Um, you know, the cabins that that are in New Jersey and the cabins that we're used to seeing are very different from what we're going to see in this film. Um, Cause you know, it's an, it's a free abandoned camp. We're not going to complain. Um, but I love the design of our camp. Our camp is actually very angular. Everything's a triangle. Um, so everything's got sharp pointy edges and everything looks dangerous and there's a lot of broken glass and then everything on our care, you know, and it's down and dirty and earthy and grungy. And then our character walks in with a bright red jacket and a yellow tent and he just pops out of it. And he's this, you know, this ray of sunshine that comes into the camp at the beginning of the film. And, um, you know, it's going to be very different looking. These aren't the cabins that you're used to seeing, but it's just a cool look. And that's really what's been driving the design of this film is that we, we find what looks cool. And then we put the proper angles to make it really look cool and put it on film and be like, wow, this is something I've never really seen before. And we're just trying to take every advantage that we can as we make this sucker. Yeah, like I said, um, you know, with it being set in present day, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, you know, what you guys came up with. And mm -hmm. to back up just a little bit, you know, you'd mentioned that the the film might be, you know, 80-20 or somewhere to that, somewhere in that vicinity of the found footage um, portion of it. So with that in mind, I understand that your film's only going to be approximately 22 minutes long. And if and if that's the case, um, do you have, you know, do you have time or, you know, are you anticipating uh, exploring any theories? or anything from the original films during, you know, during the course of the movie? We, on this one, I, I you know, I, every time I've stopped to kind of write in like a piece of like to try and go into a theory, it starts to turn into its own story. So we tried to make this one as simple as possible. Um, and with it being 22 minutes, 
Um, that's kind of a minimum that we're shooting for. We want it to be that long. We want people to know that if they invest in this film, that we're going to give them a half-hour TV episode at least. But with the, the discoveries we've made at the camp, some of the way the scenes have turned out, I can see it growing to 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, you know, really, the, the only legend that we really explore is is we just kind of touch upon the original story. We have our character rehash it. Uh, we do our own version of the campfire tale. Um, and we talk about his perspective. And I think that one of the interesting things about the perspective from modern day is, like, if you walk up to somebody um, who's a younger generation, you said, hey, what do you know about Jonestown? Um, they'd probably be like, um, Kool-Aid? And that's about all they'd be able to tell you. They don't know about, like, you know, the people's church and all these different things and all the details yeah. that went into it. So this character really is kind of like that type of person. He knows some details about the camp. He knows that a long time ago, Pamela Voorhees went nuts and killed, you know, seven counselors, but she, you know, but everything that happened afterward is considered a legend. It's considered lore. Like I was very inspired by an actual house that was in my own hometown that growing up, I thought it was haunted. Everybody told me it was haunted. You heard all these stories that if you drive your car onto the, under the grounds, it stalls. You have to push your car off you know, just to get it started again, or if you go inside, it will kill you and, and all those different things. And as I got older, you know, I found out the truth. Oh, the reason why nobody goes there is because there's a gas leak and they can't open it up because they can't fix it because it's way below, below the foundation and nobody wants to spend the money. And you go, oh, well, that's not scary. And our character tries to apply that logic to this camp. And, you know, that's why he's not scared. And he doesn't see it the way that, you know, I'm not scared, you know, I'm not afraid of ghost stories and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to buy into that stuff. Like, yeah, there was an actual crime in the history of crime, which is kind of like that plays into our, our current trailer where you see that, you know, like our trailer opens up with that commercial. And that was my way of saying that, like, with the last of his money, Steve Christie spent his money on this shitty commercial and tried to lure people to this camp. And then, in the, you know, in the middle of doing this and trying to promote it and get people there, everyone got killed. And then it became, you know, a big public outcry and, you know, like it was a real crime and it really happened and the world reacted to it. But then it went away and it faded in, into history, just like Camp Crystal Lake kind of has and just like the films kind of have in a way. It's like, I don't think people, you know, people's view of Jason nowadays is very different from what it was in the 80s. Like people say, oh, Jason Voorhees, and they go right to Freddy versus Jason. And they think of, you know, Frankenstein Jason in the giant coat, you know, walking around like, you know, slow pokey and, and not you know, not the Jason that we grew up with. And so I kind of wanted to say like, hey, listen, there's a lot more here. And like, there's a lot more that you don't realize about this place that could be explored and do it. And we kind of scratched the surface of it in this, in this short, but we really wanted to stick to our character and his journey through it. And then if people like it, we can, you know, hopefully be able to follow up with some more stories about you know, this version of Camp Crystal Lake and what's going on here and the types of stories that can be told, you know, through our uh, through our universe of it. Yeah. And with you mentioned in the TV commercial and everything, you know, that you see in the trailer, is it kind of safe to say that it's almost like, um, you know, that the camp had been untouched, you know, since part one and now it's being uncovered again? Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the the thing that we do that's a little bit different. We wanted to say that you know, after the events of part one, the police went in there, they did their investigation, they cleaned up the bodies, they scooped up all the body parts, they put them in the body bags, and they left. And since then, no one has ever been back, because they are so afraid of this place. Um, and obviously, like, there's a reason why. And the locals of Camp Crystal, of, of Crystal Lake know why they don't want to go there. They know the legend, they know it's cursed. 
Um, but the rest of the world just sees it as, as legend and lore because, I mean, we all know undead people don't get up and walk around and start killing people. It's got to be a fantasy tale. There's no way that could be true. And we wanted to leave it untouched as that way. So when our character comes back into this camp, it's as if, you know, it's been 37 years since they've been there, but nothing has moved. So some of the old props and some of the old scenes and some of the crime scene are still there. And that's part of his discovery. And what he thinks is so juicy about going there is, oh, wow, like this is still here. Oh, this is cool. Like this is still here. Oh, and he just keeps, and his, his curiosity keeps drawing him in because he wants to see what else he can find. What is still like left behind at this camp? And eventually he finds out that Jason is left behind at the camp and he's going to get his ass killed for his curiosity. Well, you know, Eric, I, I'm actually wondering if uh, maybe there's a Monopoly board left behind. Uh, potentially, but that's not what I'm really concerned about. And I don't think it would be a Return to Camp Blood episode talking about a film, albeit a fan film, but without mentioning our favorite character, is there a crazy Ralph character? What's that you say? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's, there's, there's no, I mean, when we, we, like when we started this off, we really just kept, we wanted to keep Andrew isolated. Andrew's are the name of our lead actor, but uh, his character's name is Kyle McLeod. Um, and our focus was to keep him isolated at all costs. Um, so we didn't really have him stumble on anyone else on the trail. We wanted to make sure that there was no one else around to help him. We didn't, we didn't want the audience to think that someone was going to come in at the last minute and save the day. Like we really wanted to set him out there. We did contemplate having him stop off at a roadside gas station on the way up and ask where to find this trail and, and have a moment there. But, you know, that came into costs of permits, getting another actor, you know, scheduling those days to film. Um, it's still something that, yeah, if we wanted to in the next, you know, three months, we came up with a really cool scene that would work. We could do that, but we kind of feel the way that we introduce the character now is, is kind of the way to go. I, I, I've I got, sorry. A people, I'm sorry. It, it just breaks my heart. We, I, I love crazy Ralph. We all do. And uh, so, yes, it just breaks my heart. And, uh, Dang. <laughs> but we do, I'll tell you what, there are a couple other Friday staples and I won't go into detail that, you know, you would think would be really hard to achieve uh, with one person, especially a male. Uh, but we find ways to sneak some things in. Um, and we try to be as clever as possible with trying to hit some staples without, you know, making it feel contrived, if, if that's a you know a way to explain it. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really looking forward to, you know, like I said, seeing the film and, you know, seeing all the little details that you put into it. It sounds like the whole thought process was there completely throughout, you know, everything, minor details and all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's funny, like you know, some of my, you know, some of the people that are working on this film um, are Friday the Thirteenth fans. Some were just interested in the project and wanted to work with us and didn't really have knowledge of the series. And I would literally walk them through a room and tell them the story behind it about what film it appeared in, um, what happened in that those scenes, the things I'd like to see in there, and how we could arrange it. And then once they kind of built the props. Um, you know, I would spend a good 10 to 15 minutes before we rolled camera just trying to find the things that I think that Friday fans would be like, oh, I recognize that. Oh, that's something from that film or there's something from that film. And, you know, sometimes it's just in the corner of the screen. Um, and other times it's, you know, we put it right in the, ca in the camera's face because we really want you to see it. Um, and we show it for a reason to say like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, here's a small thing. I don't think it's giving away too much. But if you look in the office, we pan by everything and the calendar that's up um, that's hanging on the wall is marked off to the 13th day of June in 1980. Um, and, 
you know, that was the last day anybody was there to, to mark off the, the, the calendar. So we thought about those things. So, you know, there's little things like that. And yes, there might be a monopoly board somewhere. <laughs> you know, that's, that's awesome to hear. I mean, if, if what you're saying, you know, with, with, taking it back, you know, to basically the last day of, of part one, it would obviously make sense to have that board there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of the first things I asked for. I said, I got to get a monopoly board. I'll find a place for it, but um, give me them. And we found a really good spot for it. And it's going to be funny because it'd be good to talk about after the film is out so we can discuss what happens in the scene and how it kind of comes about. But there's like, it makes something that happens a little bit more painful. Um, and you're like, oh, yeah, if he would, that would have happened to him, that that, that, that would have hurt. <laughs> and it has something to do with the Monopoly board. It's pretty funny. Oh, nice. And we'll definitely have you on after the film is released, and that way we can talk about the things that aren't being mm-hmm. discussed now. But I definitely appreciate, you know, the detail that you're providing with us at this point. Oh, of course. Yeah, I know. I want to be as open as with the fans so they know what they're getting into and, and, you know, they have an expectation. And, you know, what's nice is I can talk about a lot of things and not really give away the best stuff. I mean, the best stuff is definitely going to go unsaid on this on this version of the podcast. And when we come back, I can't wait to discuss those things because, you know, there's things that we got together with the stunt crew, uh, my stunt coordinator, Jessica Bennett, and, you know, her team we were able to design some real stunts for this. It's not just like, you know, rolling around in the dirt and doing some things like we went and had to rehearse, you know, we had to get a lot of safety equipment um, and we still have some more stuff to do, but there's some high level stunts in here that you can, you know, like we kind of talked about before we got going um, was that, you know, it, it takes it almost out of that fan film world and puts it into a legitimate production. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I was definitely going to touch touch base on that. Is and, and no disrespect to any of the other fan films out there uh, by any means. You know, I, I appreciate you know everything that everyone does, but this you know being that you are an independent film company, you do have access to some of the things that you know somebody mm-hmm. that just does uh, one of the one of the more basic fan films. You know, they wouldn't have access to mm-hmm. that equipment or you know some of the uh, you know some of the props maybe or uh, the mm-hmm. the high level you know. Uh, shooting equipment that you have, you know, so um, this is going to be, you know, it's labeled as a fan film, but I look at it as basically a step above that. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, first and foremost, we're fans and we obviously don't want to get in trouble with new line. We know that we have the ability because we've been working in the industry. We have these tools um, and we're doing, you know, we're going through the same motions that a lot of, you know, other fans have gone through where they've just decided that they want to come up with a short little fun, you know, story to, to wear their costume and kill their friends and come up with some stuff. It's just, you know, we're fortunate enough to have access to a few more toys and a few more, you know, people who do this professionally. Um, and we're doing it for the love of it. Nobody's making any money off of it. Nobody's profiting from it. We're just paying for the equipment that we need to rent, especially to do night scenes. Um, and we wanted to give something that fans haven't seen before from the fan film and hopefully inspire other people to do it at this level because it's definitely achievable. Um, you know, a lot of the things we're doing is done like down and dirty. We do a lot of cheats and I love to talk to people about it once the film's out and say, this is how we achieved that scene. This is how we did this. And, you know, if you want to do something this high level, these are the steps you have to go through. It's just literally anybody can do this stuff. They just have to do the proper research and, and prepare the proper way. Um, you know, that's really what it comes down to. And and we hope that it inspires people to do more stuff. And as far as the level of quality, I think one thing that drove me to it was seeing some of the stuff I saw in the fan films for Mortal Kombat, uh, some of the Batman fan films, um, that, uh, fan film that came out for Power Rangers that looked amazing with Katie Sackhoff. And like, I was like, Whoa, I'm like, this is not a fan film. This is awesome. Like, this is like, this is a full fledged production. And then I started to think about like, 
how come I haven't seen somebody do this for Friday the 13th yet? Then that turned into, why can't I do it? Like, I do this stuff. Like, I should just do it. Why, why am I waiting for anybody to allow me to make a Friday the 13th film when I can just do it with my friends for free and we can probably make something look pretty cool? Um, and we never knew it was going to get look this good. We knew we were going to try and do something good, but we kept pushing ourselves. And every time something got better, we wanted to do better than that. And we just kept pushing it and pushing it. Yeah, and I know from talking with you before that you had mentioned that it really wasn't the original idea, you know, wasn't to be what it is now, but you've had some, you know, uh, quality people jump on board with you that have really kind of mm-hmm. pushed things to the level that you're at today. Oh, definitely. I mean, this started off as a five to 10 minute short. And in fact, there was another version of this that I tried to do two and a half years ago that was a complete failure. Uh, me and Andrew um, have been friends for a while. We met on a, on a production, you know, maybe four years ago. And I had mentioned that I wanted to make a Friday the 13th fan film. And I had built my original costume with this like latex hood that I bought off eBay and some other stuff that I threw together. And it was really like, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't right. And we went out and we discovered that right away. Um, And we tried to make this short and we ran into a bunch of technical issues. And it would have been very easy for me at that point to be like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. This might be a waste of time. And, you know, I don't want to do it. But in fact, it did the opposite. I was like, no, I know I can do better. I know I can, you know, that we're capable of doing a lot more with this. So let's sit back and let's do a little bit more research. Let's try a little harder. Let's, you know, try to plan this out a little bit better. And, you know, it took some time. And, you know, if you follow us on Kickstarter, um, I've actually started telling this story through our updates about how this film came to be and the types of, you know, challenges that we faced along the way. And it hasn't all been sunshine and rainbows. Like, I mean, I was telling you before the podcast, like, I've almost died. Um, I've been severely wounded and cut. I've been stabbed. Um, and we had to restart this project once. Um, and you know, if at any one of those moments I could have been like, you know what, this is enough. I I really just got to back out of this. Um, and I haven't, I've just been, you know, put my head down and just kept going forward, figuring out how to get things done. Right. And, you know, now it's all starting to pay off, but it took a long time to really do the research and put in the amount of effort so that we could get it to look this great. This wasn't just us running out in the backyard one day and filming it. It was, you know, months of pre-production, you know, discussing with different people, bringing on different people who have different talent sets and saying, what can you do? What do you want to do? Um, you know, what's your talent or, you know, what's your strength? And, you know, utilizing that and us putting all of our strengths together as a unit and then coming up with what we've come up with. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's going to be a definitely, you know, definitely going to be a, a team effort and, I think it's going to be a very suspenseful, you know, 22, you know, to 30 minutes or whatever it is you end up extending it to. Um, And speaking Mm -hmm. of injuries and whatnot, uh, I understand that you actually portrayed Jason for the majority of the film. So with that in mind, you know, what, what Jason in particular or actors uh, or any alumni or whatever, what, what were your inspirations for your particular portrayal as Jason? Um, Well, I'm obviously a big fan of of C.J. Graham. Um, I like the stoicness that he brought to the character, um, the unrelenting um, pursuit that he gave. Um, Like, I think one of my favorite things in that film was when, you know, Sheriff Garris takes the shotgun to him and he shoots him, he falls down, he gets back up, he keeps coming. And it was just that relentless Jaws-like nature that really scared me as a kid. And when I used to think about Jason as a child and I'd be scared when I was out in the woods, it was that version of Jason that haunted me. So I tried to bring that into the, the character this time out um, for us that, you know, he's always coming at you. There's nothing that's going to stop him. He's going to get you. And when he does, he's not going to let go. Uh, you're going to have to fight for your survival. And I think that partly 
Tommy and Jason's fight at the end of part six was really an inspiration to this too. To like, that was the first time I've ever seen someone really fight Jason. And that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Like, Oh my God, this guy's nuts. He's fighting Jason. Is he crazy? And it was just that situation that, you know, really inspired me. Um, you know, and of course there's things from all the characters, you know, there's a lot of, Ted, you know, there's a little bit of Ted White in there. Um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a door bust scene in the film. And I really like, that was one of the things that drew me into Friday the 13th when I was a kid. Um, I saw, I think the first film I watched was part seven and there's that great lead up into the film, the prologue where it's like, you know, a killer buried, but not dead and all this stuff. And they showed all the highlights from all the old films. And I remember when, when Ted White came through that door in that prologue, I like shit my pants. I was like, Oh my God. And I was hooked from that moment on. Um, so there's that. And of course there's little things that Kane came up with, you know, in his time that we, we adapted and we said, you know what, this could work. And, and I think that this will work into the film. So it's a little bit of a combo, but I would definitely say CJ's Jason is the one that leads the way. Well, you definitely can't go wrong with CJ. I mean, he's, you know, part six is one of my favorites also. So I really can't uh, say anything otherwise. I mean, that's, that's a good choice. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, like CJ is definitely my favorite Jason. That's my favorite look of Jason. Um, and so that and you can kind of see in the shape of the mask that we did. It kind of has the part six shape without the without the axe cut and without the chevron. Um, and, you know, the body shape as well. You know, we wanted a nice stocky upper body. And then, you know, everything else was not, you know, flowy or big. Like we have the jacket, which is a, you know, kind of an updated look. But unlike some of the newer films where the jacket kind of turns into this trench coat, we wanted something to be like a jacket version of the old Dickie shirt, you know, a combo of the two that brought it into today's look, but gave it that classic look and fit him well. So there was nothing distracting because when it comes to Jason, my point of view and the way that I direct it is I want all the focus when you're looking at Jason to be on the mask. So everything else should be subdued and simple. And, you know, you shouldn't be looking to see if he's wearing a belt or whether he's, you know, whether the jacket is flowing a different way or doing something or big baggy pants or anything like that. It was just, no, everything should lead straight to the mask. And that's the only thing you should be looking at. And I think that that's something that I'm, I'm pretty proud of in our, in our build of him was the ability to do. And speaking of your build, I know that prior you had mentioned that there may have been some conversation. Um, I don't know if that was online chatter or where it came from, but you had made reference to the size of Jason, maybe being thinner or, you know, not as bulky as what we've seen in the past. So maybe you can elaborate on yeah, that I mean, for a little bit. I mean, when I'm in full costume, I stand about six, five. So I'm definitely big and intimidating. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to go crazy with Jason. I didn't want him to be, you know, this big muscle bound, crazy looking monster. Like really, I mean, he's a, you know, he's a, um, a decomposing walking corpse. So really, if anything, he's getting smaller over the years, he's getting closer to his bones. And if I had more of a budget, I mean, I would go nuts with this. I mean, I would, I would want to design it in a way that like he is rotting from all areas and he is just this like unbelievably scary looking thing. And it's not about his size. It's just about how creepy and scary he looks that, you know, if you knock his mask off, I want underneath the mask to look even scarier than when he has the mask on, which is something I don't think happens in the earlier films. I feel like in early films, when his mask comes off, he's, he's very much less scary, he almost looks like a little sloth-like in a way. Um, and the one that really, you know, what really drove me to really love Friday the 13th Part 6 is, is that's one of the scariest looking under masks that I've ever seen. And so thinking about that size, I know CJ's pretty big in that film. Um, I just tried to be somewhere in there. Like, I'm, like I said, like standing around, I'm 6'3", you know, 220. 
Um, when I put on the costume, like with all the weight, I'm 6'5", 230, so I'm not small. You know, I think sometimes the camera can make me look a little bit smaller, but, you know, once you see it in context and you see me running around in it, um, you know, we definitely do what we can with camera technology to make me look even bigger and more intimidating, um, especially in, in considering that, you know, Andrew's probably 5'11", um, a buck 80. So he's got some size to him, too, because we wanted him to be a formidable opponent. He's not just a pushover nerd who's not paying attention and getting the axe in the back of the head. But he's somebody who's aware, knows his way around the woods, and has survival skills. So he's a challenge. He's not like anyone else that Jason's ever faced before. He's actually got, you know, an ability to fight back. And it's something that I've actually heard a couple fans along the way say, like, why doesn't anyone fight Jason? Like, I could beat up Jason and all this bullshit. Well, it's like, well, here you go. Here's what would happen if you did that. And this is probably how it would play out. So that's what we kind of did with that. Nice. You know, I, that's a good point. You know, uh, just like you said, people saying, you know, well, I can beat up Jason. But if, if you're actually going <laughs> to demonstrate that, I, I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah. No, this is this is how I mean, if you're going to fight Jason, this is this is what you'd have to do to survive. And it's not easy. And, you know, we when we designed the stunts and we designed the fights, we wanted to make sure the fights didn't feel choreographed, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, Jason's not a swordsman. You're not out there having a, you know, a duel. You know, they're not slapping each other with gloves and fencing each other. Like, you know, Jason's pretty got a pretty blunt, straightforward approach, but he's strong and he's heavy and he's slow. So that's, you know, that's how his movement works. And our guy is quick and agile, but he's not as strong. So all he can do is kind of create space enough to get away. And really, like, our character is not trying to kill Jason. I think our character knows that he can't necessarily kill Jason, but if he can slow him down long enough, he might be able to get away. And, you know, whether or not that strategy is going to work, we're going to have to find out. But it's, he's definitely going to be put to the test with that. And he's got a few things that are holding him back. He's not, he's not even in full health. I think if you saw in the trailer, he's, you know, we show that he's injured his leg um, in one of the scenes in the middle of the film. Um, you know, so he's dealing with injuries himself. So he's not 100%. So there's definitely things holding our character back as well that doesn't make him 1,000%. So we tried to even it out as best we could. Yeah, I did see the the injury to the leg in the trailer. And, you know, while we're on the topic of Jason, we all know that Jason is an opportunist. And Mm -hmm. I guess, is there maybe anything that we might expect to see? Uh, You don't necessarily have to go into detail. I mean, unless you want to, but Mm -hmm. are we maybe going to see any type of new weapons that Jason might have never used in the original films to uh, inflict some damage? Um, No, I mean, we stick to, you know, he uses the axe for the first part. um, And then, you know, there's a scene where he loses the axe um shortly after the axe throw and it kind of goes away um and then we do a scene where we do kind of touch upon the weapons and i can give this away it's not a it's not a big deal i think this would be a really interesting scene for our uh for our viewers to to really watch as he actually goes in to grab you know where all the weapons are kept basically we built a utility room and there are weapons in there that are new but there are also a lot of classic weapons in there that we've hidden on the walls and we've hidden in the background um, so he passes up all those weapons of old and goes for the old classic machete. And we spend a majority of the, of the, of the final film with him using the machete and our character using his only weapon that he has, which is a, you know, a collapsible camping shovel. Um, we're actually pretty durable. We've actually been able to build stuff with those things and wear them down so we can get them there. But, you know, it's, it's got a little blade on the end of the shovel. So it's actually like, you know, as far as weapons goes, it really matched up well with one guy using his shovel as a defense mechanism and Jason using this machete. Um, and we went for a more classic style machete. Um, we didn't try to do anything too elaborate where it's like, 
I don't know, like in the last film, they had him with like this 10 foot machete that he had to like pull out of a sheath. And like, I don't know, it just didn't really make sense to us. It was like, no, just give him a classic 23 inch machete. The smaller the machete, the bigger he looks. You know, he doesn't need a 20 foot blade to inflict damage. He just needs a normal machete. So we gave him that and we, you know, we aged it up a little bit. Um, and we think it works well. You know, it's cool seeing Jason out there with, you know, with that weapon. And um, I think if we continue to do this, we would definitely, you know, if this was a film with, multiple characters yeah i mean the machete would maybe use once i definitely am a firm believer that jason needs to use multiple weapons on different characters like no weapon should be used on the same character twice or different characters twice um you know i think i totally believe in that but for this we just wanted to simplify it and not get not get too deep into it yeah certainly i mean obviously with the setup of your film you know it's it's not traditional you know of the other mm-hmm. films in the original series of having you know all the multiple victims and everything mm-hmm. so i assume that you probably went the traditional route and it's just i'm just glad to hear that you didn't use the uh the sword you know from 2009 which everybody makes the comment <laughs> on about how long the blade is but uh yeah. i just you know that was going to be one of my questions obviously but you basically went ahead and answered that so i'm i'm glad to hear yeah. you went the traditional route with that Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we just thought it made sense. Like we wanted something that would really be there. I don't, you know, it, I feel like when Jason, you know, and this goes towards any film, I feel like if you pull Jason out of the real world, I know that sounds weird to talk about a corpse that way, but when you start to make him an action figure, he starts to lose um, some of his on-screen presence. He starts to become almost like a joke. You know, it's like, it's too much. It's like, you know what? It's like, you're overthinking this. You're giving him too much, you know, you're making it too much of a costume to where it feels fake. And if you just make him down and dirty and gritty, um, he still carries that weight where he's pulling things that, yes, those are, that's something you would actually see. That's something you would actually go after somebody with, not some weird thing that he invented somehow in his tunnel. Um, You know, it was, you know, we wanted to use as many props and things that felt natural rather than trying to, you know, give him the steroid treatment. I guess that would be a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like I said, I was just a little bit curious, you know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're on a, a camp that, you know, hasn't been in use or has been abandoned for so many years, I guess you just never know what Jason might use. Oh, yeah. And, we, and there are things that we found at the camp um, that we definitely put for the film. Um, you know, we found pieces of furniture, like all the beds that you'll see in the film, those were all left there. You know, these creepy old metal cots um you know it was just you know we fell into this wealth of stuff so we tried to make as best use of it as possible and um you know we there were no weapons up there um but when i did go and do some of the purchasing and did some of the swap meet stuff to find the weapons that you'll see in the film kind of placed about we definitely went for stuff that felt old you know some old hatchets in there um some old knives uh, mrs Voorhees' knife is hidden in one of the scenes you'll see it um and stuff like that. So, you know, we really tried to touch upon those things as best we could and give a variety to see that, yeah, you might not have seen them in use in this film, but all of these things have been in use in the past. Like we even got like one of the hand sickles from part seven that he, he kills, um, jumps out of my mind right now, but when he bursts through the, the wood and, and slices her um, around the stomach, um, we have one of those. Um, so we tried to pick stuff from old films and put them in as well. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's definitely great to hear. I mean, it, it it's it's awesome to hear, you know, some, I guess if you want to call them, you know, the 80s throwbacks, but also referenced in mm-hmm. present day. Yeah. No, we wanted to, you know, like I said, like I wanted it to feel like we might jump over some logic as far as like the way 
the franchise pulled out, but we wanted to pull from that world and put it in our universe to say that like, yeah, it's a little different, but it's not that much different. Those events happened. And because you see this tool here, or because you see this thing here, that's because that world still exists. And we're trying to keep as much of it as possible. And we're trying to pay homage. We're not trying to create something completely brand new, but we wanted to just update it for today's audiences as if 37 years have passed since the original murders, you know, about 30 years have passed since the last time Jason was seen. And this is where we pick up today. The legend, the lore has faded and it's not what it once used to be. And this is our way of saying, yeah, you might have not have seen it this way in a while, but it's still out there and it's still scary. Yeah. And just thinking about, you know, the length of what you referred that you're basically at now, you know, maybe up to 30 minutes or so. It, it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, one of the, if you want to relate that to almost like a, a TV episode length, it sounds like it's going to be one of the busiest TV episode length, you know, <laughs> films, I mean, that you could possibly watch. I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a lot going on, a lot of references, and I, I think it's great. Yeah, no, we, we're going to, it's going to move. I mean, each each scene is going to move. It's going to have an energy. Um, you know, we got, we have a really good plan for everything. Um, and I'm really excited to see it, you know, up complete. Like really, I only have about, you know, 75% of the film completed right now. Um, so we see it in pieces and I see scenes on their own, but I can already tell that the way the scenes go through, it's like, oh yeah, we have other scenes that go around this. And I'm just happy with one um, and the way it's going to move. And, you know, each scene is going to have something new um, and then it's going to move on. And there's, you know, not only do we, you know, spend time doing some, you know, some paying homage and trying to make scary. We also, you know, we pay homage also to the humor in Friday the 13th. And we try to do a couple nice, fun jokes in there as well. There's some things that happen that, you know, we think uh, uh, audiences will get a good laugh out of. Um, and I think that that's the staple of a good horror movie. I think, you know, one second you want your audience to have a big smile on their face, and then you want to wipe it right off. And um, and I think that we we do a pretty good job of that in certain places. And, you know, that's one of the things I like to do is ride the emotion of the audience and, you know, have them up one minute and down the next and, you know, make it a real roller coaster ride. It's not going to be like a foreboding, like, Oh, this is a creepy story the whole entire time. Like we're going to get lighthearted. We're going to have fun. We're going to make it like, you know, the first half of the film is going to be a lot of fun to get through. I hope people really fall in love with Andrew. He's a great actor. Um, He's a great friend. And, you know, I'm really hope that this also helps him kind of show what his talents are because he's so personable and I don't think that the audiences will have a hard time really, you know, falling in love with him and really liking him through the first half of the film that by the time Jason shows up, I hope that they're rooting for Andrew and I hope that, you know, they actually feel for him. And I think that that's what we're trying to do with the first half of the film. Nice. Nice. Now speaking on the humor side, I know you mentioned, you know, your love for part six. And like I said, I, I totally mm-hmm. agree with you there. Um, you know, I I've recently spoke with uh, Tommy McLaughlin, you know, the director of part six. Mm-hmm. And he said that the dark humor that you see and, you know, here in that film was basically his personality coming into play and, you know, his vision coming into play. So is that kind of what you went with? Did you go with your own kind of personality on the humor side or were you trying to pay respect to the other films? Um, it's definitely it's definitely my sense of humor, but I think I share Tom's sense of humor. Um, definitely a dark side of it. It's not like I'm not telling jokey jokes, um, but there's a couple of things that happen. And then, you know, that that I, you know, I think are funny. Um, and I won't give it away because it will, it will ruin the joke, but also at the same time, I came out of, um, I've come out of the animation world. I've spent a lot of time making animated feature animated films, and there's a certain kind of comedic sensibility that I, I picked up from working in that, 
in that genre. And not to say I'm doing like animated gags in this film, but there's a certain sense of timing and a certain way that you can get characters to act and do things with facial expressions and do things with the way people move that, um, that I think will be a little unique um, and a way that we tell a joke that I think kind of takes, you take a, an action, you know, this is like an example, you take like a normal ordinary action that you have somebody do and you have them do it at a thousand percent. Um, and it doesn't necessarily feel awkward. It feels right in the scene, but it adds the comedy a thousand percent. Um, and you know, that's, that's like the one big joke in the film that I think people are really going to get a kick out of. Um, and it's something that, that I worked in and it started as this small little thing and turned into like, you know, this kind of nice fun scene that we have that again, like puts a smile on the audience's faces and then the next minute wipes it right off. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of part six, you know, because there's 18 kills in six, we have the comedy side, Mm -hmm. you know, you, Mm -hmm. you know, one minute you're kind of like, Oh, okay. Maybe a a little bit of a chuckle. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and of course, you know, Andrew, Andrew as a character has to be likable. So one way to make him likable when he's doing his confessionals and when he starts to give a tour of camp crystal Lake, um, you know, he injects his humor into it and he's a funny guy as it is. So we kind of let him run with it. Um, he's very comfortable in front of, you know, to this day and age, he, you know, he has his own Snapchat account and I'm, you know, he, he has a pretty good following. Um, and he does a lot of funny stuff on it. So I was like, Hey, we should really utilize this. Like you're good with this stuff. So let's bring some of that personality into it. You know, let's make this really fun and enjoyable. Like your commentary on what you see, like should be fun. Like you shouldn't be scared. Um, and it's only when it starts to turn odd that we'll see the turn in your character. So that's kind of the way that we injected it in. And then some events that happen along the way, we're able to, you know, make a fun moment out of it. Well, sounds like you found the perfect candidate for the job then. Oh yeah. No, I, Andrew's great. And like, it was one of those things where when you write the dialogue down and you're like, oh, that sounds stupid, but I can't think of a better way to say it. And then you hear Andrew read it. I'm like, oh no, it makes sense because he's reading it right. Oh, this is great. Um, you know, it gives you that confidence to know that you're going down the right path after you've like rewritten and reread the scene a thousand times and you can no longer be objective. You hear your actor say the words out loud and you're like, wow, wow, that's a performance. Like that's somebody actually delivering the lines and I actually believe what he's saying and this is great. This is executed exactly what we need. We could move on. And it's, you know, that's why I'm very proud of to say that like, hey, yeah, we do have a little bit of found footage in this, but I'm I'm telling you that, you know, we're not going to do the traditional found footage route. When we're doing it, you're actually going to enjoy it. We made sure that, you know, it passed my level of expectation because I'm not a big found footage fan, like I said. So it needed to pass my bar of, of quality before I'd ever let anybody else see it. And it has, and I'm really proud of it. Awesome. Like I said, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, seeing the finished product. Uh, everything looks like it pretty much is flowing pretty well. Um, with that in mind, let's talk about the score a little bit. You know, when we think about Jason and Friday the 13th, we think about Harry Manfredini's classic score. Um, you know, what, what have you been working with, uh, with your film? So with us, I mean, we're using a temp score right now. We're just building it off of, um, some stuff that we have in our library. Um, you know, to use Harry Manfredini's score, uh, it costs money. And then if you sell it, you have to, you know, pay, you know, there's certain amounts of rights that you have to go through. And because this is a fan film, um, we just didn't want to step into that boundary of crossing a line. 
So we knew we had to create something original, and we actually um, ended up meeting a guy by the name of Joe DiBiase, who was the composer on American Sniper, and he's been a part of you know many, many other different films. Um, but when we met him, he just fell in love with the project and wanted to help us out. So he's going to help us create an original score, but we're, we are very much going to look at what Manfredini did, what worked then, um, and then some of the things that we can do to create a new score that won't that will feel familiar and will be new, but won't be completely different. Like we definitely want to use strings. Uh, we want a lot of that ambience um, and we don't want to go digital. You know, I don't want to hear, you know, digital tracks and things like that. Um, I don't think that that fits that world. I wanted to have that classic horror type of feel. Um, you know, if I could equate it to anything that I've heard lately, like I really like the way that they brought back that type of score in the Conjuring films. I think that those scores are really great. Um, you know, the types of scores they use in The Shining. Um, stuff like that, stuff that's, you know, comes all the way back from Bernard Herman, which I think Bernard Herman definitely influenced um, the Friday the 13th score. Um, so there's a lot of roots there that we can draw from, and that's where we're going to start with our foundation once we start crafting the composition. But before we get there, we're, you know, we're building all of our scenes, we're building a rough cut of the film, we're going to put some stuff in there that reflects that that's temporary, but then we're going to sit down with Joe and we're going to create it from scratch, and we really want to come up, just like we've done with the rest of the film, something that's you know, that pays homage, but gives a little bit of a new twist. Oh, definitely. I, I kind of expected maybe to hear a little bit of a, I guess a, uh, you know, a re I don't want to call it revived, but you know, a, a modern Jason sound, I guess, if you will, you know, that pays respect to the previous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're definitely going to experiment with that. Um, we definitely are going to have some loons. Uh, there will be loons aplenty <laughs> in the background. We'll, we'll hear that sucker call out a few times um, to let us know. I, I think that's like, you know, even down to that little detail, um, just to show you how much I've, I've paid attention to the films over the years. Um, we're going to step into that. We want to bring as much of the old films into it and do our spin uh, without um, warranting, uh, um, you know, any type of legal action by Paramount or New Line. Right, right. You definitely got to be careful with that, but it's great to hear, you know, like I said, everything that you're doing, it just sounds like you're, you got the right idea. Um, and with all that being said, you know, let's talk about your, your Kickstarter that you have going on. It, mm -hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's over February 17th, uh, but maybe give us some details about, you know, everything that's involved with that. So with the Kickstarter, we're trying to raise the last bit of funding that will finish the film. So we're going for $13,000. That's going to go towards, you know, finishing the last few scenes. It's also going to go into post-production. You know, we want this professionally colored. Our colorist, um, you know, has worked on lots of films. Uh, his name's Greg. Um, and he's, you know, he worked on Avatar. He's worked on Godzilla. He's worked on, um, you know, he recently worked on uh, Batman, the killing joke um, from a post-production standpoint, not the story side. Um, and so he's going to help us with our post. We got a VFX supervisor that's going to help us get some, you know, young VFX artists to help do just a couple small things here and there. This isn't a heavy VFX film, but there's a couple things that I wanted to do um, to kind of update the technology, uh, especially when you have screens of, of mobile devices. And you know, he's got like a um, he's got a little mobile watch that he uses to kind of you know tell the time and see where he is. Um, and so we have a screen that gets to be put on there. Um, then obviously we have score and sound that we're going to have to purchase. There are certain sound effects that you can't just use outright. You have to purchase for your for sound library, uh, for sound effects. And then, you know, just the entire finishing process, which is, you know, the, the export of the film, making sure that we can give fans, you know, a high quality export. And the way we're going to work it is our backers will have early access to the film um, and it's going to be downloadable. 
So you can actually have a downloadable version of the film um, that you can keep and you won't have to just watch online. Um, and then we'll go and release it on YouTube a couple weeks after uh, for the world to see. But we want our backers to get a first look. Um, and as far as what you can get from the campaign, we don't necessarily give the film as a reward because everyone's eventually going to get it. We try to focus on things that we think people would enjoy to have. So we have a, you know, a pin that's designed after our mask that you can get. Uh, we have T-shirts, one which is a Never Hike Alone T-shirt. They're super comfortable. And then we're also building um, a Camp Crystal Lake T-shirt, you know, custom design based on the logo that you'll see in the trailer. Um, you get a Camp Crystal Lake Counselor T-shirt. We have a poster um, that's been designed by an artist by the name of Lauren Aris, and we're working with Crash Cunningham, actually, to get it updated and do a final spin on it uh, before we release it to the fans, and, and Crash is uh, in progress on that now, and when we have an update, we'll definitely release it and show everybody what he's been up to. Um, you can combine those things together for a grab bag. You can get, like, a duffel bag for camping. And then after that, we wanted people to have a chance to walk away with the film. So there are props um, that you can walk away with, you know, Jason's axe, Jason's machete. Um, there's one awesome prop that if you go a certain way, I can't, I don't want to give away what's in there, but we built something pretty cool. Um, you know, the signs from the film and anything else you see, some of, you know, Kyle's hiking equipment. Um, and the higher tiers come with uh, producer credits. So an actual IMDb credit of associate producer, co-producer, executive producer, um, you know, one thing we do is the full Jason costume. If you go in at the highest level, um, you'd get my entire Jason costume from the film. You know, the mask, the, the hood, the gloves, the jacket, the shirt, everything down to the boots. Um, and then the highest tier thing is actually um, we'll put you in the film. We'll come up with a scene for you to, you know, act in it. We already have it kind of written out of what we do and how it would play in. And it would give away too much if I told you what it is. But we would get our crew out there and film somebody getting killed by Jason Voorhees in a very specific scene. That would be a lot of fun. And um, yeah, and that's, that's basically to cover it. Um, and everything that we raise, obviously we're a fan film, so we can't make a profit off of this. Everything that we're using is to go towards the production so we can make sure things get done right. Once we're done, we're going to take the leftover funds and we're going to donate it to something called the Penny Pines Reforestation Program, which helps uh, revitalize sections of the forest that have been, you know, burned by wildfires or devastated by natural diseases. Uh, this um, program goes in and helps uh, replant seedlings um, and just clean up areas that, you know, are just devastated by these, you know, natural disasters. And, you know, we wanted to give back and do some good and show that we're not out here to make money. We're just out here to make a really great film. And then if we get a chance to do some good, we're going to do some good with it as well. Awesome. Awesome. Lots of good stuff out there on the Kickstarter campaign. I highly suggest checking it out. Uh, lots of options there. Um where can our listeners find you or actually obviously the Kickstarter campaign, but in general, where can our listeners, you know, contact you or, or find information out at? Uh, the best way to go to our company website. It's uh, wompstompfilms.com. Very simple. W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S.com. Uh, um, and there, you know, we have a link to our Kickstarter. We also have a link to all of our um, social media pages like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter which if you start following us, you're going to start learning a lot more about the film. Every day we're releasing different behind-the-scenes photos and shots of Jason from set and different screenshots from the different scenes that you don't see in the trailer. And you're going to get this, you know, you, you can kind of see a little bit more of expansive view if you follow our social media pages. Yeah, you guys have been great about releasing, you know, uh, updates and footage and everything. And uh, like mm -hmm. I said, it's, I, I think everyone's just, you know, really looking forward to the final, you know, the final piece. 
Yeah, no, and, you know, the, the feedback we've gotten from the fans is great. And I got to let you guys know that it really encourages us. You know, when we see people say great things and like, we know that, you know, when we're done, there are going to be people there to watch it. And that's a really great feeling. Um, you know, and I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but we actually released a new 30 second teaser too. That's uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, so you guys should check that out as well. Um, yeah, and if you follow us on YouTube, you'll see updated teasers that we'll release throughout the next couple months. You know, even after the Kickstarter is over, um, we're going to continue to kind of tease stuff as we build scenes. We'll try to take sections out, um, and then definitely backers are going to get first look at a few scenes early, like. You know, we did it during the last campaign. We cut together a, a scene um, for people to see. So we want to do that a couple more times where, you know, even after the Kickstarter is done, we'll come back to you guys and say, hey, you know, we finished the scene. You guys are, you know, part of part of backing us for you. You're making us. So let's give you something to watch, something to chew on until we're done. Um, and we hope you like it. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be connecting with our backers and our fans who, who come to support us. And, you know, we want them to be a part of this process. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Check these guys out on social media, check them out on YouTube, you know, give them a like, give them a follow, give them a share, anything. They definitely appreciate it. We definitely want to get the word out. This is going to be a, a probably one of the the biggest fan films that we've seen yet. Uh, otherwise, it, it, it's going to be entertaining. You definitely want to check it out if you're a Jason fan. Uh, but anyways, I appreciate the time that you've taken out tonight to join us and chat about your film. Um, you know, like I said, uh, check these guys out. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for being on. Well, all right, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. Uh, if you want to support us financially, head over to campbloodpodcast.com slash donate. If you think you or someone else you you know should be featured on the show, you can hit us up on, on the website on the contact tab or comment on the show notes at campbloodpodcast.com slash 86. Also, please consider checking out some of the other shows under the Astro Panda umbrella. Uh, you can find this show and several more over at astropandaproductions.com. A special thanks goes out to the Downriver Rat for an intro and outro music. You can check his stuff out at the downriverrat.com. Until next time. Yeah.